clear for takeoff. Once again, welcome to Jet Fuel, the Jets the Sport Podcast. As always, I am your party host, Joe Rivera. Along with me is my astute, educational, incredibly handsome co-host. He is Makai Becton's personal nutritionist, none other than Matt Szilard, a.k.a. King Sliz. Sliz, say hello, my friend. Yo, yo, yo. How's it going, man? It's a a bittersweet uh, week following. We got the win and a whole lot of bad, but bittersweet, but we'll take it. We keep stacking them. I know we're not. The calendar hasn't flipped yet to the next month but the net our next games in november so we can officially check off meaningful november football coming <laughs> up right one month at a time man it's it's great it's great slizen and let's start there with the runway rundown i i have to admit winning on sunday it was ugly it wasn't a great game we'll get into the specifics there but i i can't remember it as deflating a win as sunday was in so many ways like so Brees Hall goes down and, you know, he has the, the big touchdown run and, and it's exciting. You see him break through, you know, here's your home run hitter, right? Whatever. Um, discourse aside about his draft value and all that, it sucks to see him get hurt because he was really figuring it out, right? And then Elijah Vera Tucker gets hurt and you read the tweet saying, oh, well, he was letting his arm dangle at his side. And you think to yourself, well, that sucks. Maybe it's a, he dislocated shoulder and they pop it back in. He'll be back in the game. He doesn't come back, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, like, AVT's a tough dude. He'll be back in this game. And then he, you find out the next day he tore his tricep. Corey Davis gets hurt with the knee. He's listed as day-to-day. I'd be surprised if he plays versus the Patriots. But Sliz, just one after the other, one after just brutal, it was brutal like all, injuries. It, it was, like, all within, like, 10, 15 minutes, like, real time, too, yeah. right? Like, yeah. It was, like, like, like the Brees injury, it's, like, it's like just kind of like a routine play, routine tackle. You know, mm-hmm. you got kind of stacked up and maybe maybe a bit of a late hit in there, but certainly it's like, man, like how'd that even happen? And then you, right. you, you hear on the, the commentary, oh, yeah, Elijah Veritucka and Corey Davis are both out too. And I was like, man, when did that happen? When, when did that happen? <laughs> right, yeah. And I still haven't seen the play when AVT got hurt too. So I don't know. Man. It's just brutal. It sucks, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, it just really it sucks. Does. You know, like, listen, say what you will about running backs and not matter or whatever. That's fine. But oh, Brees Hall is a second round pick. Again, I'm not here to debate. He's a second round pick. He's a guy that was coming into his own and now to lose him the rest of the season is brutal. AVT. What the, the worst part about the AVT injury for me is that now you're not going to be able to see him at right tackle moving forward. Right. And with, George Fant out again this week, and I don't know when Fant's coming back. I presumed he'd be back already. But with Fant out this week, and now you're relying on, you know, Remmers and Ogbog, Ogbog, um, affectionately known as, but you're relying on these two guys to play right tackle now. And, and AVT didn't look too bad at right tackle, and he graded out pretty well on his limited snaps on Sunday. So now you you don't get to see him another weekend against against a Patriots team that you could probably use reinforcements on that, right? So not probably, definitely. So it's brutal, man. It's just, it's such a downer. I mean, it's awesome that they won. Ugly game. It's awesome that they won, but still sucks that they lost so many useful pieces. Not just like backup and depth guys, useful pieces. 
Yeah, absolutely. And young guys too, and and all on the same side of the ball. And and not that you want want to have guys on this defense get injured, but you know, having kind of three pivotal cornerstones of the offense all go down really all at once. Right. It, it makes it tough, man. But yeah. hey, but Jets kinda at least for that game, Jets overcame and and like you said, it wasn't pretty, but it was pretty for the defense and special teams, that's for sure. Yeah. And, and they've been kind of really carrying the load. I know you know, it, it maybe drives me and some of the other users crazy. It feels like for years you, you've heard in, in Jets fandom, oh, we got we got to bring Rex back. We got to get back to the Rex series. Playing, Stop it. Playing Stop good it. defense and, and pounding the rock, right? It's like, man, we're doing it. <laughs> we're doing it. I don't yeah. like it, but we're doing it. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that the challenge, I'm going to say challenge, but the Jets are in an interesting spot because like, they're finding they're finding a formula that's winning, right? They're finding a winning formula. You heard earlier in the season that Michael Ford was disappointed that they led the Jets at one point led the le- led the league in pass attempts, right? Because they did want a much more balanced attack, but now what you're seeing is it's much more run heavy attack, and it was something that was working and it was winning games, running the game, running the ball, and playing solid defense. So. I'm curious to see what happens over the coming weeks if they are going to start to let loose a little bit more with with Zach and maybe cut him loose a little bit more. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see. But listen, Braden Mann, since the phantom back injury, has been pretty good. And nothing gets me hot and bothered like a well-placed punt. And he had a few of them on Sunday. And he's had a few of them over the last few weeks. Yeah, and and Brandon Eccles, there's that one where, where Brandon Eccles downed it at the one yard line. Mm-hmm. Like, man, that was sweet. Eccles yeah. has been he he's been a little spotty, I think, as our dime uh dime corner. But in special teams, like him and Hardy, man, they've been absolutely popping off on coverage. And it makes a difference on some of those mm-hmm. absolute boomers. Like yeah. they are down the field and they are covering and and they're not missing the, that first tackle almost yeah. ever. It, yeah, it, Hardy it's Hardy's been really good. Hardy's been really good this year. I mean, as he's been really good this year. And I know people don't want to hear it because you're paying however much to a special teams guy. But those things make a difference, man. When you're making that first tackle, and Hardy's been, again, he's been good this year making that first tackle. And he's been down there in coverage every time, timely. So you you take those. We take those, as, as we say. Especially, like, around the league this year, there's been a lot of ugly football. A mm-hmm. lot of ugly football. I saw someone someone on Twitter posted a, a statistic that 44%, I think it was 14 out of the 32 teams, their starting quarterback is averaging less than one t- passing touchdown per game. Mm. Right. It's not just us. That's yeah, that's half the league. That is yeah. a, that is absolutely mind-blowing considering the modern NFL that we've lived in for the past couple of years, right? Yep. Less than one passing touchdown. And, and so when you're, you're in a lot of those slugfests, when there are a lot, when you know, you're looking at the power rankings and it's like, all right, there's the clear top three teams. There's some teams like the Vikings and the Cowboys and, and some of those others that are probably, you know, a, a step or two above where we're at. But it's like, man, you look at like team like number eight down to like 20. It's just a mess. It's yeah. an absolute mess. It's like any week, any of these teams can be any of the other teams. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't be shocked at this point, right? Yeah. So when you're you're into those types of battles, which, which and we'll be in one this upcoming week, like sound special teams matters. That wins games. Ha- turning the ball over, winning the turnover battle, which we've done week over week over week, that wins games. 
So it's like it's a special teams and good special teams is kind of an afterthought till it's not. And and Greg the leg too, and in, in a very windy day where we saw the opposing kicker miss an extra point and a uh, kind of a gnarly field goal where he it looked like it was you know he kicked it wide left and then it went all the way wide mm-hmm. right. The, so you know we but but Greg the leg bang, banged all of his kicks in and and you need you need that to win football games. Those things make a difference, man. Everything like. We saw with, I mean, with the Westoff teams for years, right? How good his special teams were, units were. And it, it does make a difference when you get in these games where the offense isn't particularly moving the ball a lot or you're playing a field position game and you need to flip the field. Like it's noticeable, right? I mean, how many times did we see with Braden Mann last year, how bad he was last year? And, and so many punts that he had last year that, that did nothing where opponents were starting on the, on the 40, 45, their own 40, 45 yard line. And you're working with a short field. And all of a sudden it's like, well, the defense is working extra hard. It's all, it's all symbiotic. It's all symbiotic. And when you have a good special teams unit, to your point, it makes everything a little bit easier for everybody. When you're making, when you have our pass rush and they can pin their ears back uh, when, when they're starting a drive inside their own 10 yard line. And all of a sudden it's like, they're working with 90 yards that they have to go and, you know, those things make a difference, right? Like you can, you could just unleash the hounds on them. So um, it, it's, it's refreshing to see complimentary football. We hear that all the time, but it's actually refreshing to see it when you're watching a game and seeing, oh, well, all three phases are at least two and a half are working well. Yeah, absolutely. And you commented on, you know, pinning them back and letting our pass rushers get out of it. Like Jeff Ulbrick, I, I, I was having a Quinn and Williams moment. Yeah. You know, we talked, we touched. <laughs> touched on when Eccles downed it at the one and then we immediately let him drive like 60 yards down the field pretty pretty easily frankly mm-hmm. and we did we did hold him didn't give up a touchdown that drive but Jeff Ulbrich stopped the Michael Carter the second yeah. nickel cornerback blitzes man he did it yeah. like three times on that drive two of them near the goal line and and like every time it was like They'd ID it and then just pitch it to the tight end right where Michael Carter vacated. And then mm-hmm. they get like six to eight yards on an easy out because the linebacker can't get over. It's like, man, like, stop that. Stop. Right. Please yeah. Just let them get after it. Let right. the four let the four guys up front do their thing. Yeah. And the thing is, it's 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 so weird to see a defense that the Jets have pretty have gotten good pressure with their front four for the majority of the season. There were games like Sunday where it was pretty non-existent for most of the game uh, against the battered offensive line, but you know, whatever they ended up winning, they got the sacks when they needed to, or the sack when they needed to, and and away we go. But it's, it's weird seeing a defense that has such good pressure from its front four be worse in blitzing situations. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and noticeably worse. Like oh, yeah. nobody can get home. That's what Quinton was mad about when he was, when he was arguing with Aaron white cotton earlier in the season. Right. He's like, dude, stop blitzing. Stop blitzing. Like, let us do our job. Like, let us do it. And to, to Quinton's credit and to the defensive line's credit, they've been good. They've been pretty mm-hmm. good. Uh, they've been pretty good all year. So yes, to your points, let's please stop. It's, it's like noticeable. It's bad, but no, I think it, it speaks a lot just to the limitations of our linebackers, right? If mm-hmm. you had some linebackers that could could cover sideline to sideline a little bit better, could cover cover ground a little bit quicker, you can probably do some of that without getting totally burnt when it when it fails, right? Or mm-hmm. it buys you that extra half a second to get home. But yeah, just with the way we're built, we're so stout up front in the front four, and we're so good at corner. It's just like 
rush with the four, flood the back end with as many bodies as possible and keep that ball in the quarterback's hands and they will get there, right? Just give them time. They will get there. The one thing I want to point out too is, you know, the, the Quinn, uh, Quinn, uh, Quan Alexander missed, missed some snaps. I don't know what he was dealing with. He might've been being checked for being checked for a concussion, but I know he was in the medical tent and it was noticeable when he was off the field. Like, I know I, w- I want to say he came back in that same drive, but he missed like five or six plays. I want to say maybe a little bit more. And it was just like, man, uh, I, I know like he's actually graded out, you know, pretty decent this year as compared to his last five or six years, but Quant's a player, man. Um, he, and he's, when he's on the field, like you see the speed and in run defense, he's been very good this year. So he's a guy, I don't know if you extend him. I don't think you extend him at this point. It's something I'd consider, but like, I think that just speaks to like you were saying, Sliz, this linebacker core is just not very good. Not very good. Um, yeah, there, there is a play bolt. There's one CJ Mosley had where he, uh, it was on a, uh, when they're going left to right, when Sutton caught it kind of across the middle and Mosley just got like his toes stuck in the dirt and just like mm-hmm. fell flat fell forward. Over. Yeah. <laughs> like that one was brutal. And that like, and then there's another one with Quincy Williams where they were going right to left where they ran a tight end just on like a, a classic crossing route, right? He was in his, in his three point stance comes up, runs a crossing route. And it's like Quincy saw him, like he knew he was coming and he's just like facing the wrong way and flat footed. And then the guy frees up for like ends up not even being within five to six yards of him. It's like, man, right. come on. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's rough out there. <laughs> it's tough because at least like Quan and Quan and Quincy have the speed, right? Like they can play, they play fast and it, you see them when they're playing fast, but it's a matter of, can they pivot? Can they unlock their hips and get in cover? Like that's the kind of stuff that they don't, they don't really do. So, you know, it's, it's tough. It's another area of focus for Joe Douglas next off season. We'll see what they, how they figure that out. But one part of this defense that's was exceptionally good and it brought a smile to my my face, man, our quarterback room is legit sliz. It is, it is legit. Sauce Gardner is a player. DJ Reed is a player. It's, it's awesome to have like going back to the Revis, like I'm not comparing to, to sauce to Revis, but going back to the Revis and Cromartie days where you had that tandem and you said to yourself, man, these guys are good. Like you're not throwing on us today. Even if, even if Cromartie ended up with boneheaded PIs half, half the time, but it's nice to have a group that you can rely on at cornerback again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said it earlier in the week. You you don't get that like sense of dread when you right. see the quarterback wind up and take a deep shot. It's like for years it was like, oh no, like, you know, this is the dagger. Right. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, all right, no, they, they got it sorted. And, and the, probably no better visual than DJ Reed climbing the ladder on Sutton on that deep throw up the middle and Sutton's got, I mean, Sutton's got size on him, right? And climbed yeah. the ladder, just perfect textbook pass breakup, man. Like, just read the read the receiver, read his eyes, turned back, hand right right at the catch point. Like, mm-hmm. picture perfect. And Sauce did that, too, on a couple of those end zone shots. It's, it's awesome, man. It's awesome to see. It's like DJ Reed, I wasn't expecting much from, to be honest, when he was signed. I was like, okay, well... You know, here's a here's a quarterback too. He's going to play opposite of Bryce Hall, and and we're going to be fine. And then you find out all the reports start coming out. Well, the team doesn't really like Bryce Hall that much. So, and then that's when you start hearing the rumblings of 
cornerback at four and all this stuff. And again, we've said it, I raised my hand, Tim Duncan style. We both were kind of skeptical about drafting a cornerback top five, but to this point, sauce has looked every bit, every bit the good. So uh, it, it was nice to see and listen against a quarterback. That's not very good, obviously a backup quarter quarterback, but it's nice to see sauce is never out of position, right? Like you never see him. His hips are always turned the right way. One of the one of the things I said early in the season is that he doesn't turn his head for the ball, but he's been doing that a lot more in recent weeks, so that's nice to see too. But um, I'm enamored. I'm I'm absolutely enamored with the cornerback group that we have, and even the safety play's been a little bit better. I mean, Joiner Joiner was very up and down on Sunday. Let's not get it twisted, but maybe it was like 51-49 good versus bad. But the hey, the safety play's been a lot better. If he keeps coming down with those picks, that. Uh, that makes up for a couple bad plays. So uh-huh. we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> and Whitehead, please stop, stop. He dropped two interceptions. I know one was one was tougher than another, but he dropped two interceptions. On yeah, it's like, man, just want to get one. Just get this guy one. But mm. uh, it's again, it's our secondary. It's it's really coming together now. It's really it's got, coming together. Now. It's got to be that number three, right? Jamal Adams couldn't couldn't come down. He had two threes. <laughs> could could never come down with an interception. Nope. White Whitehead's just single three. Maybe it'll take him <laughs> take him half as long to get one. But you know, and we, we had a uh, we had Robbie Sable on last week for the co-pilot conversation. The first time we've done that episode, and Robbie throughout the preseason always when he was at Jets camp, he pointed out this secondary is communicating and they're speaking with one another and they're building something special. And to his point, it took, it took a little bit during the regular season, but to his point, it looks pretty good right now. So we'll see if we'll see if they keep it going. Uh, One guy says who, who didn't look very good as we flip flip to the other side of the ball. And this is, I messaged you a few times to make sure I wasn't going crazy. Right. Because I I rewatched Zach Wilson's game more than a few times, probably, at this point, on well, by the time we're recording on Tuesday, I probably rewatched every throw about 12, 12 or 13 times. I've watched them all 22 on it. So I was trying to get a feel for for Zach's game because I in real time, I'm like, oh, God, this guy's just he's, you know, but rewatching it. I don't think Zach was abandoning clean pockets. I don't think he was trying to make a play just to make a play. He was making trying to make a play out of necessity, not because he was playing out of structure. Um, his worst throws were the first two of the game and the Uzama throw, which we've discussed on, on discord a lot, which that first play of the game, I'm still like, I'm still, I, I, I watched uh Vitor from jets X factor. I watched his breakdown and he, he explained it very clearly. So good breakdown, sh- by the way, it was, yeah, it was a very good, good breakdown. Work. Yeah. He did good work there. And he's, you know, Zach is supposed to hit the underneath route, but I think Zach saw two guys in that same spot and he just like, he had a brain fart and just couldn't decide which one he wanted to throw to. And then on a second attempt of the game where he, he didn't hit Corey Davis over the middle and you're trying to figure out, okay, well, those are two, I think those were his two worst throws of the game. I didn't think that he was, I don't, I don't think after that, like he didn't make any boneheaded decisions. I don't think that he looked too bad in the pocket. He was hitting the short stuff pretty regularly. Um, So is your thoughts on the game or am I just like hitting the cope too hard? But I thought that he looked, I don't want to say fine. I don't think he looked great, but I think everything was overstated about his performance from Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. It was like you said, it was bad, but it wasn't like disaster, <laughs> disaster class, like Sam Darnold ghost game bad. It it wasn't even in the same level of bad as any of that. Like you said, he, he was some, like 
clearly improved in terms of not throwing into just like what we're even looking at type situations. Maybe the Barrios um, target deep that was almost picked off, but there was DPI, which with, with the DPI or holding, you, you kind of give some benefit of the doubt. But other than that, like for the most part, it's it feels like your biggest gripes watching Zach. And I, I feel like when he does those long rollouts and holds it like a touch too long, trying to see if something opens up, mm-hmm. I feel like that people interpret that a lot worse than it yes. actually is in terms of result, right? Where it's like, okay, if there's nothing there, you just want him to throw him out right away. O- throw it out right away, live, move on to the next down. And he's always kind of like stretching it out mm-hmm. to the last minute. So it makes, it makes that same result feel a lot worse, but it, it, it's worth, it, it really is worth like taking a second, taking a breath and rewinding and, and watching back. Right. And so you look at a lot of the pressures and, and I know his pressure numbers, like his clean pocket versus pressure numbers have been pointed out a lot and his pressure numbers are bad. Right. But it's like, it's very important to remember not all pressures are created equal. And for whatever reason, Lake and Tomlinson, um, <laughs> there have been a ton of free rushers through the A and B gap, especially this week. And it's like, man, when you hit that, a free rusher through the A and B gap, like in your face is a lot different than a guy beating the tackle around the edge kind of one you know, or, or really kind of going the whole gambit around town behind the QB and working his way back up with a motor play. Right. It's like, if, if that pressure's in your face, like on that one play where he jogged like 15 yard backwards and juke three dudes and eventually got the ball out, like that feels like a really bad play. Cause it's like, dude, you can't sprint 15 yards back. He had the other play too, where he did like the double spin move and nearly mm-hmm. fumbled it. And I don't think he was trying to throw it away either by the way i think once the ball came out he was trying to hit it out of bounds because mm. he knew it was likely a fumble um but so it's like those ones make you f- feel really really bad and and probably his biggest issue is giving too much depth on some of those sack avoidances instead of maybe stepping through a pocket that's collapsing or, or just getting the ball out sooner but there were a lot of those plays and the CJ Uzama ones, the, the one that really sticks out. And we were looking at that here today where it's like, okay, there's pressure. He should have been able to connect that pass. He should have had his base and, and the off the back foot stuff is probably his biggest issue. Right. Or he kind of does a little fade away jump and tries to just muscle it there. And, mm-hmm. and he, just in general, no one, no one, not even Patrick Mahomes is super accurate when you do that. Right. But it's also like just fundamentally so Lakin pulled and totally blocks the wrong guy. Therefore, him and Michael Carter block the wrong guy, block the same guy, and then you get a free rusher up the B, up the B gap in his face, on his strong like on his vision side, and right. he knows it's like I just need to buy it half a second. Right. And, you know, CJ Uzama's kind of settling down so he can catch it, and then it's just off target. It's like yeah, I don't know. It's tough because it's like that's a play you need him and want him to make, even if he has to set his feet and take that hit. Now I think he has been a little leery to take those hits. Um, but yeah, it, I, I really don't think it was as bad as general consensus has made it out to yeah. be. You had a really good throw on the Jeff Smith pass that hit him right in the numbers and was a drop dropped. Mm-hmm. And then in real time, the Barrios pass, um, 
uh, that that post about 15, 20 yards downfield looked like, oh man, he missed Barrios. He put it behind him. I think he threw the perfect ball there. That was a tight window through two or three linebackers. Barrios has to sit that down in the window. He overran it, in my opinion. Yep. Um, and that's not pure cope. I love, I love Brad. Trust me, I would blame Zach. I'm a, I'm part of the Braxton Barrios fan club, man. Me and Spencer are uh, captains of the team there. Uh, send in your applications, but, uh, <laughs> but that one I feel like's on Barrios. So it's like we're not throwing a ton, and especially not downfield, so it doesn't feel great. But I really don't think it's as bad as it feel as it has seemed. And really, until we get into either a game script that dictates us to throw more and to throw downfield or and or just going against defenses that don't have Jair Alexander and Pat Sertain locking down Garrett Wilson, that helps a lot, too. Right. And the thing is, to and, and something I've noticed is so many of these bootlegs and there was a big report done. I forget who I was who, by who, but so many of these the bootlegs that teams are running this year are just not effective anymore. And I think some of that, and then we talked about, you know, the path the, the play action playing into the, into the passing game a little bit more when you're running the ball and you're running it effectively, maybe that makes it a little bit easier on, on play action passing. But the one thing I noticed is that whenever Zach is on those bootleg plays, we never run stretch. Like there's never a stretch on those, like we never, it's always tosses or it's always runs between the tackles, right? It's never stretch off tackle, like ever. So the one thing I, I noticed is like, well, you might want to start mixing those runs in a little bit more to keep that other that other defensive end at home because it looks like they're sniffing it out immediately. And the yeah. other thing that the Broncos defense did really well was speaking of sniffing out, was sniff, sniffing out all of our pretty much all of our screenplays. There was one one screenplay to the right to to Garrett Wilson who took it for a first first down. Um it's just they were they were all over those screen passes all day. And there was one that uh, to Wilson's left, I think it was in the third quarter that he was going to throw it left, but all of the, f- the defenders crashed down and Braxton was, if he threw that ball, it was going the other way. Like oh, yeah. it, it was going for six and Wilson runs it out and he runs directly into two, into two defenders and he takes a pretty, pretty rough hit. So listen, I'm telling you, like you watch those games real time and you're like, Man, Wilson looks he looks bad, like he looks inaccurate, this and that, but he was hitting a ton of the short stuff on Sunday. He was completing those things. There were some ball ball placement things uh that were off. He threw a ball to Garrett Wilson that was uh down and inside, and Garrett had to make this insane readjustment on the pass. If he led him outside a little bit, he probably cuts it upfield for another 10 to 15 yards. So there's still some stuff like that, but you know, I just I don't I didn't I don't understand the I don't understand the victory lapping on. Oh my God, Zach is bad. Like this guy's terrible. Like if there, there were games that he's had in the past that would look a million times worse than this, a million times worse. So I encourage everybody to go back and watch, even just watch like his every throw. Like they put them up on, on YouTube all the time. Just watch every throw from Zach and you'll see like not to, there's, there's always a difference. I say this all the time. So there's a difference between reasoning and excuse. Right. And I think that, the Broncos had a really solid game plan. Our offensive line was in shambles. And like you said, when you have free rushers coming up the gap, A and B gaps, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So, and I don't yeah, know. The two, the two big things, right? Like, if you're going to look for positives with Zach, he has avoided a lot of what would, for most QBs, be surefire sacks. 
Mm-hmm. He's got which with a with a stout run game and and a short passing game, not getting into those first and twenty, second and sixteen, you know, not getting right. in those bad down and distances is pretty pretty huge, right? And then he's done. He has not turned it over. Mm-hmm. I think we're what three weeks straight now without a turnover since Pittsburgh. Yep. So against some good some good D's and some good corners. So and like you mentioned, shaky O line play, yep. uh, especially on that left side. It's not going to so, get any better. It's no, not going to get it, any better. It's not. <laughs> and and man, I know he's not going to go against Bradley Chubb every week, but Dwayne Brown was not good. Nope. And and I think. I think they credit him with three. I, I could have sworn he had four penalties called on him, two holdings and two false starts. Like he was not, not good. Lakin, there's, there's the play going around. We already talked Dude. about one where he blew it, but there's the one where it's, he was literally like the, the, my man froze meme. It's like that, that was literally Lakin where it's like, dude, it, his, his controller disconnected, bro. Yeah. <laughs> It's like false start everyone but Lake and Tomlinson, man. It's yeah. like, what are, you, what are you doing? He was just sitting. He's probably still standing there right now, as a matter of fact. He, yeah. he didn't get back on the plane. He's still standing there at uh, mile high. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the offensive line is not going to get any better, unfortunately, until they get – you hope Fant is, is healthy soon, but it's just – it's tough. Brown, Brown's been good up until Sunday, you know, in limited action, so I'm fine with giving him a, a pass. Lakin again, it's it's either been very good or very bad from him. And Sunday was a bad showing. It just was top to bottom. And on the right side now with AVT out is just yikes. You know, you hope Ogbog is good and Remmers at some point will probably play, but I just I don't know. It's it's scary. Scary hours. That's why all these we'll get into the trade rumors and a little bit of the nuts and bolts about uh, restricted free agency in a second. But Sliz, so what are what are some of your thoughts about? potentially making a move to bring in a Laramie Tunsil or, or a Jack Conklin, because we heard those were two names that were, that were floated out there by Adam Schefter. Again, not like concrete reporting, but educated guesses on, on what the jets may do over the next couple of days. Yeah, man. So I don't think Tunsil is actually available. Like just putting myself in their shoes. I don't know why they would make them available. They don't have a a clear replacement on the roster. It'd be like if we sold off a player, if we sold off AVT and then immediately had to backfill AVT, right? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't make a ton of sense in my mind for them to move off of him, and they'd have to eat a lot of dead cap. That said, if he is available, he's certainly the preferable move to a Jack Conklin where um he's still in his prime and and i know there's there's been some discussion oh i thought he fell off and um he's a premier pass blocking left tackle and i know he had some injury issues last year which probably impacted it on top of just a absolute dumpster fire of a situation right and rushing Mm -hmm. around him he's been good this year man and um if you can go out and trade like I, i think i think it's certainly a first to get a Laramie Tunsil, uh, left tackles, premier left tackles are not cheap, and, and especially at the cost that Houston would have to eat. I think they'd have to eat nearly $17 million in dead cap for 2023, along with the remainder of his signing bonus, essentially, for him to not play this year. Um, Cap-wise, it, it works really, really well for a team trading for him, which I think only drives the price higher, right, where – his base salary this year was a little was a vet minimum, um, a bit over a million. 
so we he'd basically be 600k on our cap sheet this year and then he'd be roughly 18 million next year which i mean that's less than premier left tackle money on mm-hmm. on our cap sheet right so that's with houston eating a east eating a g- decent chunk so i feel like our first plus i don't know if makai beckton's appealing to them that's probably your baseline and and honestly they probably want a little bit more than that um I don't think he moves. I don't think he's really even available. Um, so with that, so you look to Jack Conklin, who's probably a, a cleaner fit for this season, being a right tackle with that being our, our clear and obvious <laughs> immediate need. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have any years beyond this one, which does make it tough. If you are sending some significant or meaningful capital, you'd need to either work out an extension or you risk kind of that capital going to waste um, and and not having a return beyond this year, but maybe we're okay with that. From Cleveland's perspective, they're likely not keeping them. Um, the cap space isn't as – they're not eating as much. Um, he has two void years, but they'd be hit with that anyway. And then his salary this year, I think he has $18 million guaranteed base so we'd end up eating roughly two-thirds of that so it'd be 5.8 million so we need to move or two to clear space for conklin um but his cost should be a lot less too with him being a free agent with cleveland being pretty much out of the picture at this point and already having kind of the heir apparent on their roster james hudson who started against us and played well at right tackle so it's it, it makes sense from cleveland's point of view to move on give the young guy reps, build kind of that cohesion and get some gra- draft capital in return. You know, it, if it's a third, like a third round pick, that's probably a third plus, maybe a th- like a third and a fifth. You could probably justify it and then really, really push to get that extension next year, um, at least for a year or two and at least lock down. Okay, we have one tackle spot that we feel comfortable with going into the offseason. Um, if you're looking more than that, a second feels rich given the risk of him just leaving or him just hitting, hitting the age wall. Um, he, he's only, I think 28, so he'd be 29 next year, but he has had some injuries over the past two, three years. So that, that always worries you a little bit, but he's, he's also a guy that, uh, Douglas has had the hots for in the past because they, oh, yeah. this team's pursued him in the past. So you know, that familiarity, that chase maybe plays into it a little bit. I don't know. I still don't see this team making a move for a tackle slizz or an offensive lineman. I I think they're going to stand pat until Fank gets back. I think that's a mistake, to be honest with you, because I've said it before. I'm not comfortable with Fant on the right side. When he's played on the right side, he hasn't looked good. Granted, he hasn't really played on the right side in the scheme. Much so, um, I, I still don't. I don't know. I'm just not comfortable with Fant out there, but... Yeah, and I, it, I think Rich Samini said on his pod, and I, I didn't give it a listen, but a couple of folks in Discord were saying that didn't doesn't feel like the team's very comfortable with his timeline or or the fact that he'll be back soon. Rather, it's not right. and not that fans not doing anything that he shouldn't or, or he's behind schedule. It just doesn't doesn't feel like some optimistic timeline or outlook there. You know, it's weird because this guy went from literally oh, well, he's good to go after camp, even though he's limited in practice and he played, you know, throughout the first few weeks of the season. So now we don't know when this guy's getting back. It's oh, it's yeah. very bizarre. And it, it again, it, it plays into that whole, what are the Jets doing with injuries now? I don't, 
it's well, just weird you think too right from fans perspective so fan has like a very different um incentive case right now and then Dwayne Brown right like Dwayne Brown's more or less riding into the sunset on this contract it's either I'm playing football fighting through this injury or I'm probably retiring right <laughs> George Fant's still young enough if his knee's not feeling good it's worth him sitting out as long as he needs to to get it healthy so that he can tell teams he is healthy past physicals all that in his free agency yep so um certainly i doubt we're gonna rush him back as a team or organization um you certainly hope he's back maybe post by because we could use the help but uh I, I don't know man we'll, we'll see what happens there yeah it's weird tackle situation is not good right now i mean Dwayne brown's been largely good but that right side is just yeah yikes it's just yikes so i mean i'm hoping that they make a move because douglas is as we saw with james robinson they're not not quite comfortable just resting on what they have. So let's get into this James Robinson trade. So let's, don't mind me if I sum this up really quickly. The move is fine. It's not worth getting bent about. The incentive is not great. I think we agree there where he needs another 260 yards. I think it is or 240 yards. I don't know the math. I don't have it in front of me. 240. 240 to turn it into a fifth round pick. Yuck. Not crazy about that. But you have an extra sixth. This is a move that signals to the locker room that they're not waving the white flag after the Brees injury. He's a well-respected guy. And I, I appreciate that from Douglas, that he wants to put that faith in this roster and he's not just sitting back and, all right, well, you know, you could have played, you could have played Bam Knight or you could have played Ty Johnson, but if this guy's out there and he's a clear improvement over both Bam Knight and Ty Johnson, then go for it, right? I don't know. That's where I stand. I don't know where you stand. Yeah, I got a whole bunch. <laughs> I got a whole bunch of thoughts. <laughs> I'm going to start with a, uh, it's it's not the official geek of the week, but I'm going to call these people out. Man, anyone that wanted to trade for Cam Akers, like, have you watched Cam Akers at all this year? Like, <laughs> it, it just, like, things like this, it's like you, you can see where people just latch to names or, or or remember glimpses. And you kind of see that with James Robinson too, where all anyone's talking about is his 2020 season right. as a rookie. And it's like, man, that was two years ago and an ACL tear ago. Achilles tear. Sorry. Achilles tear. Yeah. Yeah. But like every, anyone that wanted cam Akers, like the Rams need a running back. They're not just selling them off. Cause, cause they're, they're rife with running backs. Like, no, mm-hmm. this dude's a bum. And the team that drafted him had a plan for him like is just straight up not even making them active on game days anymore mm-hmm. that that's like uh, geek of the week part one out of the way so just <laughs> wanted to get that off my chest anyone that wanted to trade for cam Akers, just, just no just no um it's fantasy football society sliz that's 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 really what it is it's fantasy football it's rot like it's box box score takes they don't pay attention name brand name value i mean that's yeah. anyway continue so so talking about the the running back that we traded for the other running back with an Achilles injury the last <laughs> year. Um, so James Robinson, I think has been okay to start the year. Um, he, he's been less effective he, with, with a smaller sample. You don't know how much of that is just the scheme change, the coaching change, the usage change or what. Um, he's never been a fast guy. Like I, I know there's some people like, Oh, he's a one for one replacement with for Brees. Like, Dude, he's not. 
Reese is on a whole different other level with with speed, right? Where James Robinson kind of makes his his body work as he's elusive, he has good vision, and he's he's fundamentally sound, right? So he, he's a great pass protector, which is good because we know Michael Carter's not. And even though they've used Ty Johnson there, he's not either. So you, you got a guy who you feel comfortable with in pass protection. And, you know, even after Brees went out, we were still using that pony package with Michael Carter and, and Ty Johnson, the, the two running back look in the backfield. J- James Robinson's a bigger body type or, or I'll say a sturdier body mm-hmm. type where maybe stout. you use him. Yeah, he's stout. That's a good, yeah, good word. Maybe you use him as kind of that, that lead blocker or, you know, almost a fullback light type role in that pony package. Um, and really you're, you're just using them to, to keep the touches flowing, uh, across multiple backs, feed the hot hand, um, something that jumped out, like, cause that felt like it was super quick, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone expected us to make that trade yesterday, right. um, or, or Monday kind of right after the news on Brees, but like that felt quick. Some of that Jacksonville plays in London. So it felt like that maybe added some more urgency where it's like, mm-hmm. Hey, if we don't trade for this guy today, he's on the flight to London. And then if he's get, then he's got to turn around and fly back. And then he's all jet lagged and um, misses essentially the whole week of practice. So um, yeah, that's, I think that prompted it to get done as quickly as it did. Like you said, the conditions on it aren't very good. Um, Essentially it's J Rob for a fifth Um, with our running game. I, I don't think we needed to make a move, uh, I, but certainly you, you feel like this guy probably gives you more than, than a bam night or, or someone off the, the scrap heap. Right. It, it does stink seeing uh, Tevin Coleman was released by the Niners following their, their trade for CMC. Um, you know, that would have been a familiar name that we probably could have just brought in and plugged in but the timing didn't work out. There's not, you're never sure if they're actually going to release them or not. Um, I don't know. That's kind of the high level. Uh, something maybe that helps save the trade a little bit is like you said, he is a, or, or alluded to, he's a restricted free agent. So what does that mean? Um, it means for is, people out in the, out in the discord who are too lazy to Google what this means. So yeah, go ahead. I, I think he's calling you out misery, but, uh, <laughs> um, no, so so what does restricted free agency mean, right? So that means he has any 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 rookie gets four years uh before they're a vested vet, right? So James Robinson came in came in as a UDFA. He's been in the league. This is his third year now. So that means he is not a vested veteran after this year. So that means as the team with his rights, so to speak, um, he we, we get some added benefit. And we've seen this with a Bryce Huff. We saw this in the past with uh, Javelin Guidry. Um, it, it's really more relevant with undrafted players um, or it'd be guys that got cut and then maybe claimed or cut and then signed elsewhere is where it comes into play so as a restricted free agent we can choose to do a couple things we can either tender him or we can just negotiate like a normal free agent right so we can basically say no you're a normal free agent and and negotiate from there 
So him being in-house already does give us the ability to just negotiate, hey, we're going to give you a vet minimum, you know, <laughs> and he can either take it or leave it. Or we can use, um, and it is a little confusing when you Google it. So there's an original round tender. There, there's a first and second round tender, right? And I know like with Robbie Anderson, there's discussion, oh, do we use the second round tender on him? Which that means you're paying a larger contract to him and he can still negotiate with other teams. So on, under any restricted free agent, even if you tender them, they can negotiate to other teams. Um, and then with, if another team makes them a contract offer, you can match it or you can let them walk. So if we gave, if we gave them a second round tender and whoever we'll say the giants, just cause they're on top of my head, let's say the giants offer them a deal. And then we decide not to match it. If we had a second round tender on them, we would get a second round pick from the giants. Right. So it's like, you're paying more, but you're pretty much getting a guarantee that someone's not going to poach them from you. So the original round tender would be for later round picks. And actually, in this case, isn't applicable because he's an undrafted free agent. So there is no original round. So that'd be if we put a, a original round tender on a fifth round pick and someone signed him away from us and we didn't match, we'd get a fifth round pick. That's not applicable because he's a UDFA. But there is a right of first refusal tender, which basically means we have the right to match any offer that he would get from another team. Um, there's no draft compensation. And, and so we do have that option. The tender is 2.7 million is the estimate per over the cap for, for 2023. So maybe a bit on the richer side, but if he's, if he's a productive back and, and really I think where it comes into play is Reese might not be ready to start the year next year. And I know that's way, way in the future. It's hard to even look that far ahead. But at, at minimum, you probably want another back you're comfortable with in, in training camp, in preseason, and ready to go in case Brees is lagging behind. And um, not that Brees' knee injury, it was mostly just an, an ACL and I think a partial MCL. Uh, uh meniscus 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 that's what mm -hmm. it was it wasn't like jk dobbins where jk dobbins shredded his whole knee but you saw jk dobbins and gus edwards gus bus both on that ravens team both tear their acl in preseason and dobbins came back and wasn't himself and now he's getting cert clean up surgery again and, and gus bus just came back right so like that there, there's varying turnaround times on that um it gives you an option to hedge going into next season at a relatively cost controlled uh, cost. So I have a question. When, when do the uh, chicken tender, when does that come into play? I had, I had some chicken nuggets for dinner. Does that count? <laughs> were they the dinosaur ones? Were they dinosaur no, shoes? they were not. They were not oh, that's classic, classic nuggets. Uh. Do like a note. Anyway, so that'll do it for this week's runway rundown. Obviously, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot that happened last week. That's why I took up so much of the show. But so as this week's Top Gun, I mean, it was an ugly game in Denver. Not a lot of not a lot stood out. But again, we, we gave him his flowers before, but I'm giving him his flowers again. That's Sauce Gardner. He was tested twice with under two minutes to go, which was stupid in and of itself from Rippon going after yeah. going after Sauce. But listen, man. 
he came through. He shut the game down both times. One was on a fourth and 10. One was on a fourth and three. I, I mean, this guy being able to being be able to shut the door like that. That's just, it's just encouraging. It's just so it's refreshing. Like you said, the ball goes in the air and you don't have that not in your stomach. Like, Oh God, we're screwed. So. Yeah. He was phenomenal. I don't know. Why the, I don't know why the Broncos tested him of all, all guys on pivotal downs where they had to have it, but <laughs> 90, 90.2 coverage grade this week from, from PFF because we love PFF grades, but uh, 90.2 coverage grade because they would be stupid to give him anything less than that after it, incurring the wrath of jets twitter last week so the, the pf the pff sauce gardener propaganda has been off the chart man <laughs> i feel like that account posts about sauce like every two hours he, and, and it's well deserved he's been awesome we take those we take yeah. those. so uh, no around the league in roughly 60 seconds this week because honestly i just didn't feel up to it but also we had a lot to talk about and I didn't really feel like writing about Belichick because we'll be talking about Belichick after the after the next segment. But the next segment is the geek of the week. And Sliz, this one's a pretty obvious one. We didn't get we, we spoke a little bit about it last week. We were giving Elijah Moore the benefit of the doubt because of a lot of what Robert Sala said. Competitive guy. He just wants to be part of the game plan. He just wants to help contribute. But I think we've seen since last Thursday when the trade request came in and that maybe there's a little bit more going on than just not wanting to contribute, wanting to be part of the game plan. So let's talk about Elijah Moore a little bit. Um, listen, dude, hire a social media manager. Stay th- off social media. Th- throw your phone into the Atlantic. Just, I don't want to, I, don't, I hate being the shut up and play guy, right? But I'm kind of in the camp now. Just shut up and play, dude. Like, like if you keep it, keep it in house at least. Right. Right. And, and, and for me, it's like the fact that he went out today and he was posting more Bible verses. Listen, like he's a man of faith. I'm not going to knock him for that, whatever, but it's the, the measure in which he's doing it. It's the manner in which he's doing it. And like you said, keep it, keep it in house. And the fact that he's posting these things on social media a day after he gets back to the facility, when, Listen, this dude should have been on his hands and knees begging for an apology from his teammates yesterday. After the way that this organization went out and defended him, the way that Robert Salas stuck his neck out for him, tried to keep it in-house saying that his his absence from practice last week was a family matter, which you do not do. Like, you, you do not do that to defend a guy, right? So this organization has gone through the ringer to defend his honor when maybe he doesn't deserve it, but... Again, we're here. We're here a week and a half after the first tweets were sent out, and he's still there are lots of words I could say. I'm not going to say them, but he's still being a petulant child. We'll keep it at that. Yeah, man, and it's like bonus frustrating when Corey Davis gets hurt, and mm-hmm. it's like we could have used him in Denver with that soft shell that they were using, give him some yak opportunities. We could have used him once Corey Davis goes out, and mm-hmm. you're you're throwing out the the cocktail of Denzel Mims and Jeff Smith and <laughs> oh god you know it's like hey man we need you it's like especially now it's like okay you are clearly going to be part of the game plan this week like mm-hmm. lace them up and let's go and yep. yeah like you said still on socials way too much uh AJ Brown in his ear I'm sure and and Elijah Moore we, Jets fans prior to all this loved you held you up on a pedestal you are not AJ Brown brother 
Yeah. You are not AJ Brown. You have no nowhere near the body of work as AJ Brown, nor are you the same type of wide receiver as AJ Brown. Like you are I, not AJ Brown. It just gets it gets dude. I, I just don't understand because it's like if you are that concerned, because this is all about a paycheck at the end of the day, right? That's that's what this is about. It's about him trying to set himself up in a good situation where he could be in line for a good payday because that's what his best friend AJ Brown did, right? But at least AJ Brown produced for three years before he got that paycheck. And then you earn the right at that point to to for that big payday and to force yourself out, which is fine. But when you're a rookie and you've played literally 17 games, so one season's worth of games in your career, and you're going this route, it just doesn't make any sense to me because teams will pay attention to the type of player and the type of person you are in those situations. And if they feel that you are you have lots of untapped potential as a player, they'll pay you for that. Teams will pay you for that. And you'll get your opportunities, like you said. Corey Davis gets hurt. And now we we're relying on this guy this weekend to fill a void that if, if Davis doesn't play. And it's just all backwards, dude. I, I'm usually very pro player empowerment, but none of this situation makes any sense to me whatsoever. Yeah. And and on top of Elijah Moore, Geek of the Week, I guess part three at this point. <laughs> would be all of the fantasy football nerds. And, and this is why Jets fans are so defensive and lash out on at literally anyone out, even including Jets fans, they lash out at each other. Like <laughs> with this whole Elijah Moore thing and the Brees Hall injury, right? You just get every fan, every fantasy football guru from every corner of the internet saying, oh, good. The Jets, oh, they're just ruining his talent and this and that. It's like, man, shut up. You don't even watch <laughs> Jets games. Like, you know absolutely nothing about the situation. Like, you're just get, literally just your same old Jet mindset in the background. Like, oh, here's the Jets ruining another wide receiver. And and I think you had some PFF guy and this is where PFF gets the rap they do from Jets fans saying, well, well yeah, he watched this happen to Denzel Mims last year. And then Je- Denzel Mims isn't getting snaps. It's like these, these two dudes are totally mm-hmm. Mims has a way more justified reason to want to be traded. Cause he was not even active until this week. Right. Mm-hmm. And he just wants a chance to get on the field and show he can play. Like I, I think Mims probably went about it the wrong way, but you can understand his case, right? right. And, and to his credit, he's been head down and working every week and, and came and, and still not very good, but came to work this <laughs> week and, and helped spring Brees on that long run, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, Elijah Moore, you are getting more snaps than anybody. The game plan will shift. We're winning games. When it's not working, we'll change it. Right now it's working. Take a breath. We need you. And just in general, I thought our staff and really our front office too, in general, they're playing this as good as you could in my mind. And not just because it's, it's everyone F Elijah at this point and everyone's kind of, you know, (laughs) yeah, I'm a Jets fan, not an Elijah fan. Right. But Mm -hmm. they are handling it well, where the locker room is clearly cohesive. Stuff's not fragmenting. Solid to your point has really stuck his, stuck his self out further than he needs to to defend Elijah and really say hey we want this guy here he's a good he's a good character he just really wants to he just really wants to win and contribute to winning so right yeah it's it's a, just a bad situation and there's one more really quick one more geek of the week so part 4 as we extend this this entire segment which we said we wouldn't do before but you know whatever 
So honorary mention this week, man. There were a lot of geeks of the weeks. Yeah, geekus of the weakest, I guess. Geek eye, I guess. If it's it's cacti, is it geek eye? I don't know. Anyway, so this ref crew, Bill Vinovich. I have so many nasty things to say about Bill Vinovich. I feel like this guy. I I very quickly looked at his his Jets stats and or the the games in which he ref Jets games, and it's not pretty if you're a Jets fan. On top of that. Deshaun Williams throwing himself on the on the pile twice and not getting a flag. Um, and one out of bounds on Zach when he freaking frog splashed this guy. He came off the top rope and and drilled on and Zach, and we've seen less called, dude. We've oh, yeah. seen less called on quarterbacks well, heading out of bounds. And there was the late hit on Mims. There yeah. was the 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 offensive pass interference. I looked at that play like three times and took screenshots and clipped it. That was not pa- pass interference. That was not pat and and I thought the the hold call that they called on Garrett Wilson on the uh, wide receiver bubble screen on the other side. I thought that was really weak too, man. Like it was the rough. First, listen, even the first play of the game when Zach when Zach missed whoever he was throwing to on that first play of the game, Conklin gets drilled. Right, he got drilled there, and I'm like, listen, it, they never called the uncatchable ball. Ever like never. It's it's a very convenient thing for NFL referees to to call uncatchable. But you see it. You see a receiver get drilled like that, fifteen yards down the field, no flag. I just don't. I don't get it. Yeah. Like the, I'm the, not one. To, I'm not usually one to complain about refs, but it felt pretty pretty one sided on Sunday. That and that that no call. I know you're fired up about the Zach Wilson one. That Garrett Wilson one was absolutely brutal, man. Okay. He had like three guys lifting him in the air, and then yep. this dude comes yep. like barreling across right. the field, and just after the whistle, just full full yep. spread, just dude. Man. And if you see Salah, did you see Salah's reaction? Because he, yeah. oh yeah, dude, he came he came sliding in there like like a goomba on an energy drink. Like he was like sidestepping the whole way down. It was just the funniest thing. But like he knows too, like. What is what is this guy doing jumping on piles? And I, like I'm like 95% sure that's personal foul stuff. You're not allowed to jump on piles. You're allowed to re- remove guys from piles too. So it, it didn't even look real. Like when it, it, just, when it happened yeah. in real time, it didn't even look real. It was like, what just happened, man? It just I don't get it. I, I don't understand. It was just infuriating to watch because we we the Jets never get those calls, right? The Jets just never get those calls, and it it continued anyway. I hate referees. I hate umpires. I hate referees. I hate officials. I hate side judges. I hate all of them. I hate all of them. Moving all right. On. So let's, yeah, let's move on. Let's move on to this. Let's try and make it uh, five in a row. So this is the flight plan. And this is the game. This Sliz is the game. Week eight versus the Patriots. Lock it in. <laughs> yep. If we're going back to our, our season preview, this is it. Sliss said we'd have a we'd have a sweep of the Patriots this year. Listen, I wasn't man. feeling good about it prior to last game to Monday night football either. So the first po- bullet point I have here is bizarre world. And I watch Monday night football. I work Monday night football. So I saw every snap of last night's game and or Monday night's game. Mac Jones wasn't good. Bailey Zappi, outside of his like very brief two scoring drives, wasn't good. Their defense was pretty unimpressive. They couldn't stop the run, and they've always had problems with mobile quarterbacks, so there's that. But Justin Fields looked halfway decent last night, or Monday night. And Bill Belichick, for I understand that he's icy with the media, and he's that's just always been his persona, but 
there's also, when you watch him, there's also a level of control that he always has. And I felt like watching his press conference after the game, he just didn't have it. He just did not have it. Like he's losing, losing control of whatever the situation is. So I said, it's bizarre world. It's weird to see New England coming into our building with all of this turmoil surrounding them. It's fun to watch. Yeah. Very exciting. Coming coming to the home of the five and two Jets, right? <laughs> well, and and kind of on. So you talked Bill Belichick. I think the the most like striking thing to me. You saw a couple media tweets from the the New England beat around like the players were confused. Like yeah. the locker room did not. They didn't know what the plan was. It did mm-hmm. like what they understood did not match what Bill was telling the media. Like. It's weird, man. It's weird. And Mac Jones is like, is he injured? Is he kind of not injured? Is it just an excuse? Like, I I don't know. He was moving fine. He was moving fine on those scrambles. Like he didn't look hurt. Yeah, he was. He was trying to. He was trying to kick people. Yeah, yeah. Every every brother on the field. Bad news. Bad news. Two slides. Those both of those slides were brutal, dude. Yeah. The first slide to he he stuck out his right leg, tried to trip Brisker. He was coming over, and I'm like. That didn't look natural, and I watched it on replay. I was like, that definitely wasn't natural. And then the second one where he actually kicked Brisker square in the well, jewels. And, and this is after last year, too, where he had that yeah. whole Brian Burns incident with the, the ankle twists and all that mm-hmm. jazz. Like, not, you better not off, play hands on Quinnen, man. That's all I'm yep. saying. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's take a look at this matchup. I think the first question is who's their quarterback, right? Whether it's I'm not I'm not worried, whether it's Mac or whether it's Bailey Zappi, to be honest with you. And Mac threw that absolutely horrendous interception yesterday where he he lofted that ball up there and Brisker to be fair Brisker made a really nice play on it but he did not he looked out of sorts he still looks gun shy he still doesn't look like he's challenging the ball down the field and that's immediately what you saw with Bailey Zappi who wasn't afraid to sling it deep but it was only for the first two drives and then the rest of the game was kind of shut out yeah, and their and their offensive line's been a little bit in shambles too. You know, not not maybe as bad as our tackle <laughs> position has been, but you know they've had moving pieces. It's a different different line than last year. They've had some injuries up there. Um, you know, if if there is any lingering injury, if it is Mac Jones, certainly um, you don't feel good, or he probably doesn't feel good staring down our defense with the coverage we've had locking guys up. Plus, uh, just the tenacity our pass rush has brought like i'm i'm hoping for a lot of a lot of max sacks man I, mm. i'm really hoping for it and you know uh, defensively the one thing that does give you a little pause and we we've, we've talked about linebackers all year and we'll talk about linebackers for the rest of the year and beyond until we we fix it in the offseason hopefully but you know they do have two t- talented tight ends we saw we saw Denver nickel and dime us with the tight end position this last week, the whole, you know, all game more or less. So that is the the one matchup in their favor where we, you know, it's not going to be a secret that they're, they're going to know it. We're going to know it. So we just, our guys got to show up. That's the big thing there. Offensively says, what do you think that the jets are going to do? I'm assuming Robinson gets in here and he gets acclimated quick. If not, he'll get very minimal snaps on Sunday. Um, are you expecting it's weird we run? it's weird we may we we signed Bam Knight to the active roster too four running backs right yes. which I don't know what that tells us <laughs> yet <laughs> I I really don't know I don't know if it means Corey so I, it 
I think Corey Davis is definitely out. And then uh, that's where it's like, okay, are you protecting now that you need Braxton as part of a bigger part of the offensive package, you bring in Bam Knight, you can do some kick return duties in case Brax gets hurt or something. Right. So there's that layer to it, but then it's okay. Is J Rob going to be here? Is he going to be comfortable? Um, do we want to have Ty Johnson running kind of as the the one B guy in the pony package if J Rob's not? Um, I don't know. There are some questions. You feel like we probably are going to be run heavy, um, but there, there's plays to be made. You know, Justin, like you said, Justin Fields looked pretty good, and and there's a lot of 10, 15, 20 ish yard completions. Right, that intermediate of the field what was was doing pretty well for him last night or on on Monday night. So. That's an area where we maybe haven't, with Zach at QB, really been able to attack well. Um, it'll be interesting to see if we manufacture touches for Elijah. Uh, we we gave Mims a, a little wide receiver screen. Um, I, I'm he curious like a deer what we do with ice, Elijah. Bro. He looked like a deer on ice. Like, yeah. Just like, it is not pretty. It is not no, pretty. Like not, his legs not, were not his everywhere. skill set. Not no, his definitely set. not. But listen, man, I, it's just it's just such a different feeling, and I don't think that's because we're riding a high right now. Four four game, you know, heading five and two versus the Patriots. Like it's not even that. It's like I'm looking at it from the Patriots' perspective. I was talking to to a buddy of mine today who's a big Patriots fan too, and even he was like, "I, I dude, there's just something about this team that's just not right," it, yeah. and it's very apparent when you see it. Like the offense is up and down for the most part, but their quarterbacks don't scare you. They have two solid tight ends, but I'd, I'd hazard to say they underperformed those contracts oh, yeah. at least. And their defense, while good, solid, and they have an elite scheme, if Justin Fields does that to them on Monday night, I have faith that Michael Ford can really, really capitalize on it. So I don't know, man. I, I got a good feeling. I got a good feeling. And this is another one of those games that heading into it, it's another statement win. It feels like we've been saying that all year about these games. Like every week is a new statement win, but this is it because this is a game that it's Belichick. It's the Patriots. It's a starting quarterback of their choosing, whoever they want. You're not facing a backup guy. You're facing a, a team that's been there. Who's, who's been at the, at the top of the division forever. Like this is it. This is, this is Salah's moment. Yeah, and, and in general, right, and I've said it the past two weeks, right, with Green Bay and, and Denver where it's like, okay, winning those games would be good. But, like, if you lose them, it's also not the end of the world. Those teams are struggling. Green Bay is an, an NFC team, so they're not directly competing for, for a wild card or anything mm-hmm. with us. But it's like New England's in the division. It's at home. They're, if they figure it out, they're going to be in that wild card two three mix with us right getting this win and if we get to six and two like you never want to say we're a lock for anything this early but it's like it'd be it'd be hard to find a path where we can't at least make the wild card three if we win this game yeah so it's like there there's a lot we got to get through it i know we're banged up you get through this one we we probably get waxed by Buffalo at home, but then you get to the bye, right? And and we should have reinforcements coming out of the bye, whether you know if if we hold Corey out till then, but you're expecting at least one tackle, hopefully between Fant and Mitchell to to be back post bye. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, get to the bye, re- recoup, and something we didn't mention. Hopefully, Jermaine Johnson's back this week, yeah. which will be think, pretty big for us against that run game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he is because he posted he's posted a few things, and I, I so I'm I'm excited to see him back on the field because it really started to feel the run game for him has been there all year, but it really started to feel like he was he was getting it. He was starting yeah. to figure out a little bit more. So, and it sucks when he has that momentum and then the injury. But uh, Sliz, before we get to landing strip, I want to hear you say it one more time. Give me, give me a lock it in. Get, get real close to that microphone. Put, put some bass in your voice. Let the people hear it. Jets win. Lock it in, boys. Oh my god, let's go. I'm feeling it. Motivational. All right, Sliz, let's bring it in for a landing. This is the landing strip. So, Sliz, what's on your mind, man? I know you've been everybody playing hurt this time of year, but I know. I know you've been going through a little bit of an illness yourself. Yeah, man. It's been like a, a like a month and a half of just like rotating between my wife, my daughter, and me of everyone having like at least one or two of us having some sort of illness and mm-hmm. like you know, school started up in the fall and and just full on daycare flu, man. And whatever the cocktail is this year, I don't know if like stuff fermented super good coming off of covid and covid's kind of mixed in there somewhere too i'm sure but like two three weeks ago i had something and i was i was like down for two three days and then this whole weekend man i i think i it was some form of strep is what i'm gonna call it it was brutal (laughs) i haven't been that down and out in a long Mm. time so feeling better now clearly got my voice back and and um getting back in the groove but yeah be, be uh be safe out there lads take some medicine get get lots of rest so em- emily was sick my wife was sick for for a week and she had something bad and this was just last week and she's just coughing everywhere and just me not a thing yeah a and thing. that's the weird thing because like my wife and, and daughter both had something maybe two one, one to two weeks ago and yeah i was fine all week like not mm-hmm. when you live together especially with a little kid it's like you're going to, you're going to get the germs. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you can't bubble yourself from it. So it's like, but I, yeah, I was fine. And thankfully we've been staggered. So when I've been sick, she's been able to take care of me and vice versa. But yeah, man, it's, it's been, it's been, it's been rough. It's been mm-hmm. a, it's been a rough fall of illness. Well, you're back now. Yeah. Now, we're you're back. Just, now you just got to get ready for the uh, next illness, which is the stomach aches from Halloween next week. Hey, yeah, for real. And Hey, while I'm thinking about it, if Sauce Gardner pops up on the injury port with illness, blame we're, Foots. We're we're burning down Foots's house in Denver. <laughs> I'm I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But our, yeah, our and, fearless and you, leader. Yeah, you alluded to it. Halloween this weekend. Daughter's got a Cookie Monster outfit. Oh, we're, we're pumped. We are pumped. She's a big Sesame Street gal. Um, big big Cookie Monster fan. So yeah, we got got her hooked up with Cookie Monster. Still, I still gotta get candy to to give it out. We got a pr- pretty pretty busy neighborhood for Halloween candy. So I gotta you know I, I gotta get at least two of the big bags. But... Mount Rushmore of Halloween candy. Go. Mount so Reese's. Yes. I'm a big Three Musketeers guy. Yes. And then I'd probably put like a Skittles third, but I mean, I I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm diverse. I, I will, I will eat everything except milk duds. Milk duds hmm. are like my only bottom tier candy. Everything else I'll eat. Even almond I joys. Eat... I'll eat almond joys. I'll, yeah. I'll, I eat anything but milk duds. Mounds, mounds and almond joy. Throw them out right in the garbage. 
Right, right into my bucket. I'll eat them. <laughs> How about you? So, oh, man. I'm a Reese's guy first and foremost. I love the Reese's. Reese's are elite. Kit Kat. Can't turn down a Kit Kat. Break me off a piece of that. Uh, Twix. Twix are good. Big fan Twix of the are Twix. Real good. Milky Way Dark. I think those are my top four. I also okay. really like the Three Musketeers, though. There's just something about the fluffiness yeah. about a Three Musketeers. It's just like refreshing. I don't know. Throw in the, you throw it in the fridge, too. They're good. So uh, my landing strip thought, I, I mentioned music last week with the Ultra Bridge album in the 1975, both being excellent, excellent albums. I actually think my favorite album of the last three weeks of the three that come out is the new Arctic Monkeys album, The Car. This album is top to bottom incredible. This is like, it's just pure sexy lounge, like cigar club. Like, it's just so good. It's like cigar club rock is the best way that I could put it. Like you pop it on, you pour yourself a scotch and you have a, like, this is, this is, it's just top to bottom. It's so, so good. So um, it, it's, I think it's about on par with AM. AM was a little bit more indie rock, a little bit more rocky. This is much more smooth and mellow and suave, but it's just so, so sexy. It's just such a good album. I'm, I'm, I've, I didn't even realize they were coming out with a new album. So that's always nice. My, my students were telling me to listen to Moneybag Yo. I have no idea who that is. I, I was listening to that. And I'm like, okay, this is all right. This is not my thing. Moneybag Yo. I don't, I have no Dude, idea. Don't, don't, don't look at me, man. I have I don't no know. idea. I, don't I have know. no clue. Money bag yo, and then they were like, "You got to listen to Never Broke Again, Young Boy." I'm like, "What is that's a name? Like that's a I don't understand." But that's anyway, what NBA stands for? I, I, I thought he was like, oh, I'm not even gonna say what I'm gonna say because <laughs> it's a total boomer moment. So <laughs> anyway, Arctic Monkeys album, excellent. You should really listen to it. Big big fan. But that'll do it for this episode of Jet Fuel, the Jets Discord podcast. As always, you already found us, but you can continue to find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. Please, please, please leave us a five-star review where applicable. You can find us on Twitter at Jet Fuel Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Rivera SN. Sliz, where can the people find you on Twitter? Yep, find me at Sliz underscore NYJ. As always, you can send us an email at jetfueldiscord at, podca- at, at podcast.com. How many times have I done this now? You could send us an email at jetfueldiscordpodcast at gmail.com. And Sliz, how can the people join the Discord to, to enjoy and, and debate all of our James Robinson takes 15 times a day? Yep. Find, find us at the Discord. It's discord.gg slash nyjets. And yeah, talking talking every move, breaking it down. Five and two is a lot of a lot of sunshines and rainbows, but as we've talked through every week, not everything's positive. There's there's always going to be stuff to talk about and and things to dissect and and nuanced conversations to be had with context, with lots of yes. context. We love context here on the Jet Fuel Discord podcast. So, so that'll do it for this episode of Jet Fuel. For Matt Salard, I am Joe Rivera, reminding you you can't take flight without Jet Fuel.